Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts catch a vision of where you call us to be. May we move from uncomfortable to a new vision, a new way that may still be uncomfortable, but that is holy and good. Amen. So as I was meditating on the scripture passage this week, the, in particular the Matthew pack, passage, I couldn't help but remember back to the fall of 2013, October to be specific. That fall we kicked off um, one of our first sermon series about being a church without walls. It was called The Beloved Community. And it was a series about us growing in our identity of being anti-racist and oppressionist. Does anybody, was anybody here back in 2013? Maybe you, maybe you remember this, I don't know. The reason I remember it so vividly is because we used this very same Matthew text. And I didn't know what to do with it then. And I opened the, you know, this, at the beginning of this week and I was like, ugh, that text. Now, in my defense back then, I was still a green pastor, a green preacher, kind of new at the thing. Um, I was very much uncomfortable about talking about race, and yet I knew that it was something that we as a community had felt called to do and be. And I just didn't know what to do with Jesus in this passage. The question that I was faced with back then and that I was still faced with um, this week is, what is Jesus doing? Was he offering some sort of test for this woman and, um, to demonstrate her faith? And, and when she demonstrated her faith, he healed her daughter? Or was he sort of trapped by the systems and structures of privilege that were at play in his world, so much so that he was not able to fully see the woman and her needs? Which is it? It's a hard question. And before we answer that, I want to say just a minute about what some of those privileges and systems of oppression might have been in Jesus' day. But trust me, I will answer the question. So uh, I'm, I think y'all know this. Jesus was Jewish, not Christian, right? Jewish. And uh, the people of Israel had been historically oppressed. You look and you see they had lived in slavery in Egypt. They had gotten out of that. And as they grew in strength and number, they at times became the oppressors, right? One of the ways as, as uh, they had this dream and God gave them a vision for land, it meant that they had to chase out the Canaanite people. And so from a, from back from a very long time ago, the Israelites and the Canaanites became enemies, huge enemies. 
Now, Tyre and uh, Sidon, which is the region um, that Jesus and his disciples went to, it was outside of the bounds of Israel. So they had essentially crossed the border, right? You know these borders that we make up sometimes, right? They had crossed the border. And the woman they had met was being described as Canaanite. Now, in the first century of, uh, of this area, Canaanite was actually an outdated term. It was not a term that was used to describe people in the first century. Um, but the, the gospel writer of Matthew resurrected that term to describe this woman. Now, I got to thinking about that. I thought that was a really interesting fact. And I got to thinking about like, how terms change over time. And, and when they change, the old terms sometimes take on a derogatory sense, right? They cause harm. They're used to, to keep people down. And so I wonder if that might have been a little bit of what was at play in this, in this story. So here's Jesus in this story. And he meets an outsider, an outsider in so many ways. She's a woman, which I didn't even talk about that system of patriarchy, right? But women at the time were only owned. They were, they were sort of the property of their husband or father. Um, they had no agency on their own. So she's a woman. Uh, she's, uh, she is um, a foreigner. She's a Gentile, meaning she's unclean. She's not worthy to be engaged in conversation with. And she is an ancient enemy of Israel. You get all that? That's a lot, right? So I pause here and I'll ask this question again. What was Jesus up to? Was his response to the Canaanite woman a test of her faith? Or was he reacting out of his biases? Now, another way to frame this question is actually to think about Jesus' humanity or divinity. We, as a Christian people, uh, part of our ancient confession of faith is that Jesus is fully human and fully divine. Right? I hope this is not news to any of you. Maybe it is if you're new to Christianity. We see Jesus as being... Not 50% human and 50% divine, but 100% human and 100% divine. It is math that does not add up, right? But often, you know how it is when you go to a funeral and somebody dies, and uh, you start to hear stories about them, and suddenly you're like, man, I didn't know this person very well, but they are like perfect, right? You know, you start eulogizing, and the, the person just gets more saint-sounding, right? So think about Jesus. The scripture passages that we have, he has died, and they've written these stories down, and he just gets sounding more and more divine and less and less human, right? Right? So I think as people of faith, oftentimes we, we sort of like, oh, yeah, he's human, he's divine, but he's really probably more divine than human, right? Maybe this is just me. I need some feedback when I'm talking here, guys. Okay, thank you. So we default to Jesus' divinity, and it becomes easy to say that then he must have just been testing the woman. So about three years ago, I defaulted to Jesus' divinity. Um, I couldn't understand what was happening in this, and so I was like, it must be that he was just, you know, God had a perfect plan. This is what was happening. Um, it must have been a test. I said something like, I, don't, I say something like, because I, I looked at my old sermon and I've copied and pasted here, but you know how I end up adding lib, and so who knows what I actually said, but this is what I wrote. I just can't believe that Jesus is a racist or a sexist because that isn't the sort of man that I want to follow. 
So this was a, it was a sermon where I sat a little bit and then we actually had like a panel discussion. Anybody remember that? It was really good. Um, and so I was feeling good about the day and I got home and I opened up my email and I got called out. I got an email that called me out. It was a great email. I'm going to share a bit of it with you. You know what I mean when I say called out? Okay. I don't have to urban dictionary this for you. Okay. Here's what it said. Pastor Brittany, when you said you don't think Jesus was racist or sexist, that suggests to me that Jesus was somehow better at being human than the rest of us. That even as a fully human individual, he was somehow immune to these systems of power and privilege that ordinary people experienced in Jesus' day and that we experience in our own context and time today. I think that part of the strength of the fully human, fully divine nature of Jesus is that it places God within the fabric of human experience in all of its joys and desolation. If Jesus can't be a racist or can't be a sexist, then I think that limits the fully human nature of Jesus and further distances God from humanity. Woo! Isn't that good? Now, this came from uh, one of you all. This was not a theologian, somebody that, when I say one of you, I know we have like some Garrett people. It was not one of them. One of you all. Talk about doing theology in church. I loved getting called out. This was great. So great that I still think about it three years later, right? I emailed the person this week and I said, I've been thinking of you. And the person was like, wow, I can't believe you still have that email. And I'm like, it was good. It was really good. Much more was said in this email, um, this holy calling out email um, that caused me to reflect and ponder ponder my own personal baggage um, that I have maybe related to the word racist, that I have related to the word sexist. Uh, And I have reflected deeply on that, on who I am, on how the background of how I grew up has shaped me and my own sense of privilege. Um, It was a holy, holy moment of getting called out. So I want to reflect. I I know you said you know what getting called out is. I just want to offer a couple of examples and sort of like, we see getting called out in the news. When you're a public figure, you get called out, right? Like, um, like President Obama calling out um, presidential candidate Clinton at the um, correspondence dinner about her comment about CPT. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay, that's that's a calling out, but that's a public calling out, right? Or uh, the like everybody that called out Donald Trump on his tweet for Cinco de Mayo. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay. That's calling out, too, right? Uh, when you're in public situations, public calling out sometimes can take the shape of, like, people are really angry and are calling out out of anger and frustration, um, calling out maybe wanting to humiliate you in the way that they felt humiliated. Um, and there's, there's places for people to be in that pain. But what I'm talking about, the kind of calling out that I'm talking about, is grounded in love. And it's grounded in a desire for you to help the other person see more fully. 
right? In our second scripture passage today, Paul is writing to the people of Corinth, and they are putting more emphasis on the gifts of speaking in tongues and prophecy than they are on love. They are putting their emphasis on what Paul calls this sort of temporary things, right? They're only seeing partially the vision for God's kingdom in these gifts. And they need to see fully, right? They, they are still children in faith. And so um, they need to keep their eye on the bigger thing of God's kingdom coming. So I see that email of me getting called out. That person was helping me to see God's vision for the kingdom to come, right? God's vision of a full humanity where everyone has sacred worth. I have seen partially, right? And because of getting called out, I can see just a bit more fully. Not completely still, but I have caught a broader sense of who God is and what God cares for and desires. So today we're beginning this new sermon series called Getting Information, Becoming a Church Without Walls. And at UVC, we desire to be an anti-racist and anti-oppressionist community that works toward racial reconciliation. But that is not something you can just say and do. It is a lifelong process of, of, of self-reflection and self-examination and education and, and learning concrete skills for moving in this world. So these five weeks today and then the next four weeks, they're going to be about getting information, like information, like concrete information, and about getting in formation, right? Beyonce, hello. Um, <laughs> Y'all, I, I just feel like it's... Amen. Thank Amen. you. <laughs> getting information and information as a community called to dismantling the powers and principalities of this world that are causing harm, right? Because the gospel shows us God's vision for wholeness for all of life. And each of us, each of us individually has seen partially, but together we can help each other to see fully. So, I want to say that this is actually a really difficult series to engage in, right? Like, some of you are coming, and you're in so many parts of your life, and, and, and it's, it's hard as the preacher to stand up here and try to speak to all of you. I just want to name some of the ways that we come, right? Like, um, this congregation, look around you. We are made up of black people, and Latino people, and Native people, and Asian, and white. Some of us grew up in rural settings of 500 people in our town, and some of us grew up here in the city or other big cities, right? Some of us grew up on food stamps and didn't know where our next meal was coming. Some of us grew up and we always had more than enough. We are first-generation Americans and second-generation Americans and 10th-generation Americans. We are undocumented. Look at us around here. There are, there are two things that bind us together. The first thing is not a great thing. Um, the first thing is that um, we have all been taught, no matter our background, we have all been taught, probably mostly implicitly, but sometimes explicitly, that white culture is best. We have all been taught that white is best. That's called white supremacy. And I, 
it, it, found, it sounds weird to say that, right? Because I grew up and I thought white supremacy was like the KKK marching around, right? But white supremacy is this, this like tangly thing that we don't even see, but that tells all of us that white people are best. And so that gets to two terms I want to throw out. The first is um, internalized racist superiority. If you're white, you've been taught that you're superior. I've been taught. If I am a person of color, the term uh, that you, everybody should hear is internalized racist uh, inferiority. If you are not white, you have been taught that there's maybe something wrong with you and that you need to strive to be. This is heavy stuff, right? That's what binds us together. Because that's a truth we've all grown up with, right? That's white supremacy. I want to offer you, I mean, this, I want to offer you just a glimpse of, of what I'm talking about and how subtle it is. Um, Tony, if you could bring up the slide. I think about children's books a whole lot. Because I think about if we want to dismantle white supremacy, it's in all of the little actions that we take. And so I think about, like, one, one thing I think about, and actually I, I have to credit Monica is the one that really is the one that thinks about this more than me. I just pretend like I do when I'm up here. Um, children's books. What books am I reading to my child that are giving her the message of white supremacy? So you can see this is 21 years of, uh, of children's literature um, in a graph. You see all the white? And you see the gray. Uh, this is the amount of diversity of books that are about children of color or adults of color any, um, in children's literature. You see it's like 10%, 9%, it gets as low as 7% in a year. Uh, 2014 was a big year. It was like, there was like a lot of push, like more, let's get more stories. It got up to 14%, which is awesome. And uh, the, popula the U.S. population is 37% uh, people of color. So do you see how even in just like, I, I doubt that the, the children's publishing um, arm of, of whatever, HarperCollins or whatever, is like sitting around in a room being like, how can we make sure we don't print literature for, by people of color, right? Like, I doubt that that is like, it's not overt like that, right? And yet, this graph does not lie. White supremacy. So, I said that there are two things that bind us together. This is one awful one. The other thing that binds us together is the gospel is the gospel story, actually, that we see in Matthew today. Um, because I believe that Jesus was caught up in these systems and structures as well. I believe that he had similar shapings that told him he was the best, his culture, right? And so I see great hope in this story. First of all, I see that reflected in, in his first answer when he says no. Right? I'm here for Israel. 
But this story that we read today is ultimately a story of transformation. Jesus caught up in these systems of racism and sexism and xenophobia. Jesus, a product of his culture, was transformed by a woman that he likely had both racial and gender bias against. By a woman that called him out. What a powerful moment in this gospel story that points to Jesus' full humanity and potential for change. If he can do it, then so can we. If Jesus can break through those barriers of his time and when he gets called out, then so can we. This is the gospel hope for today, right? That the Savior of the world has been there and done that, has experienced the systems that bring people down. He has experienced the difficulty of trying to navigate all of that crud. The culture that lifts some above others, he understands the subtleties of racial prejudice and the way that it can cause us to think that there isn't even a problem. Like, he gets it. And he has been transformed. I often say um, that salvation is this process that, that, that is for your whole lifetime, right? And it, it, is about, it is about God or Christ or Jesus, whatever divine being you want to talk about, working in you to bring about freedom, authenticity, and wholeness. I don't actually say this, but I think a lot of times people hear that as, yeah, working in me to bring about my freedom, my authenticity, and my wholeness. And yes, that's true. And I never say you're, you're personal because it's also about corporate. It is about uh, corporate authenticity. It is about communal freedom. It is about the wholeness of the entire body of Christ gathered here. That is salvation. It is here and it is here, right? So I want to end with a Mother's Day story, right? Because... But I don't have a story about my mom. I'm sure I do, but not one that fit with what I needed it to fit. So I'm going to tell you a story about my grandma, my paternal grandmother, whom I don't talk about as much. Uh, she also, Ruby is also named after her. The Louise portion of, her, of Ruby's name is part of my grandmother. Uh, I loved going to my grandmother and father's lake house. And we'd go fishing and swimming, though I'd never go swimming in that lake now. Gather walnuts, like it was a lot of fun. And inside, my grandmother would let us bake cookies. And my grandmother's an avid sewer, so I'd always wanted to see in her sewing closet the project that she was working on. She once made an entire wardrobe for my Cabbage Patch doll, which was pretty awesome. And uh, because she's a sewer, we used her thimble. Had a favorite game I loved playing with my grandma Dodd. Hide the thimble. Any of y'all ever played this kind of game? Uh, at our house, we have a sock monkey, and so we play hide the sock monkey. But you know this game, right? One person hides it, the thimble, and the other person looks. And they look, and they're like walking this way, and the person that hides it, hides it is like, no, you're so cold. You're cold. And then you turn direction, and you're like, you're so hot. You're hot. If you, go, if you, touch, if you get any closer, your fingers are going to melt. You're so hot. You know this game, right? Okay, 
So I love this game, playing it with my grandmother, hide the thimble. And the thing is about this game, it is not a game of competition, right? There's no, it's, it's a game of teamwork. It's a game of getting called out, rooted in love. Because you are so excited for the other person. I was so excited for my grandma to see that thimble. To, to see more fully what I saw, right? And so I direct her and call her out. It's hot, it's cold. That game is about helping people to see more fully. The scripture says, now I only know in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been known fully. We can't do this work alone, y'all. We all come to this conversation with varying and limited levels of understanding and experience, and we all have something to learn and to share. And as difficult and as uncomfortable as this conversation might be, know that we have the gift of love that carries us forward. After, uh, Christian mentioned this, but after worship, um, right back there, they're sitting together. Chantelle and Rebecca are gonna lead us in a, is it about an hour conversation? It's gonna be time for individual reflection. It's gonna be time for communal reflection. There's gonna be um, sort of uh, an activity that we do. And, and uh, it's the work. It's the work that we're called to, to see more fully to be transformed and opened and changed. And the good news is that we do this with confidence, knowing that Jesus, Jesus our Savior, Jesus the Savior of the world has been there and done that too. Will you pray with me?